Wanderings Universe. What's going on? It's your host, Ron Rapitalo. And I've got Kishana Palmer, who I met over five years ago when I was doing my usual, usual recruiting incredible leaders for roles that I was supporting. And we hit up a really good, not only friendship, but just co-conspiratorship. And I was on Kishana's podcast some years back. And I was happy to offer the opportunity to be on mine, especially she has uh, built quite the empire as a multi-hyphenate. So check out what Kishana's got to say. We are both children of immigrants from New York City. And her life has had a lot of twists and turns, and yet she's built something quite incredible. Last but not least, check us out at leveragepublishinggroup.com. We ghostwrite, edit, and publish first-time authors. Peace. Rondering's universe. I've been waiting for this episode for a minute. My home girl, sister from another mother, Kashana Palmer is on the mic with me. Damn. Yay. Crazy excited. Kish was, I was on your podcast some years back and now fast forward to the Back to the Future DeLorean. She's now on mine. So it's a real gift to have my home girl, Kishana Palmer, who like me, it's hard to put you in a box and describe you in like a sentence or even, you know, a novel. And so you do a lot of everything regarding like leadership and folks wellness. And so Kish, tell me, tell me, how you doing? How you, how you coming into this space? Listen, I'm well today, which is great. And Ron, that is yeah. so thinking I was like, oh, Ron, you were like the first guest on my first experiment. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I think the best way I would describe myself is a multi-hyphenate, uh, serial social entrepreneur. Mm. I love to come up with new things that is a Gemini in me. Yeah. Making in me, you know, I always have my hands in four, five, six, seven things because that yeah. is gets my juices flowing. But I have spent pretty much my entire career in the social impact sector, um, either raising money for large national organizations or getting yeah. up their development and their policy and marketing teams. So Ron, just like you, I've been in the business of people. Mm-hmm. Amen. It didn't start in my professional life. I think it started in third grade. I want you to know, because wrong. Listen. Uh oh. Wait. Don't start on your story yet. I didn't ask you to start to tell your story yet. Hold on. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. But no. But at, <laughs> as CEO, as CEO of management, we take wellness and leadership seriously, and believe that in order to lead well. You have to live well. And so we're putting a fresh take. That's why it's management, a fresh take on management and leadership. I want to take all the rules and rip them darn things up so that we can be well. Um, and I think that, you know, over the pandemic, now that we're pandemic forward, right? People's idea of what it means to be well has really been upended. And folks mm. are in a place where they're like, I'm exhausted. I don't know why. I want to quit, but where will I go? You know, you're like, trapped a little bit. And so yeah. our team works with organizations and companies to help them basically have restorative practices that help them to retain their teams. And in order to do so, we got to get in your business. Yeah. And so coaching and advisory retreats, board development, change management, consulting projects. Listen, Ron, I done turned an organization around in under eight months. Okay. Mm had a team member that said in writing, I used to take the bus to work and could not see a day when I could imagine 
having a car from my family. And within three months of you being here, you have changed the trajectory of my life. Damn. And I mean, mm. if I was words of affirmation, Ron, I want you to yeah. know, I'd have been to the side. I mean, but it's, that, is a, that is a gift. And also, that is what I will live and die by. If your team is well, they will move mountains for your mission, for your company's bottom line, for your, whether it's a product or service or both. Right. So I get up every day living and breathing that work. And mm. then on my sideline, you know, I get into shenanigans like dating and raising my child as a solo mama. <laughs> That's the thing with Billy, a multi-hyphenate, right? You just yeah. not in one box. Like you talking about a lot of stuff. You got a platform. You got to let the folks know because when no. people hear our stories, it normalizes that what we're going through isn't just something that happens in the box. It's only me. That's that right. when you zoom out, it is the environments, it's the systems, it's the policies at play that create this ecosystem, this very interwoven ecosystem that we're in, right? And for us to, to talk about it and then work on how do we not only dismantle it, but build something better, yes. that's the work because dismantling work. only gets you like, well, what are you creating now? You got to create something better. So what is the better? That's right. So. And I think what is the better is probably the question that stumps most leaders, whether they are leader mm. by and title or by influence because the work, regardless of whatever industry you're in, has shifted and changed. What does it even mean anymore? I think the people are like just having this esoteric like moment where they're like, what, what is the meaning of life exactly? You know, and for folks like me, went to business school, you yeah. know, had very like march down the one road to do the thing. That was a very hard uh, world to step into because I am very black and white in living in a gray, living in the gray, took all new skills and actually maybe a retooling of my skills. It's probably the better way to put it mm. in order to be able to meet folks where they are. Um, and I think that that's going to be important because Ron, like right now, 80% of CEOs, executive directors, whether, whether they're in the social sector or outside in other sectors are worried about losing their job. Mm. Wow. That's it. That's and then deep. more broadly, Many of us, if you look at any of the sort of like engagement, satisfaction surveys that everything from Calm, the app, all the way on back are doing, people want two things. They want comfort and they want to escape. And so, right? Wow. Think about it. Think about it. That's what folks are looking for. And so how do you, as a CEO of your organization who is shaking in your boots over your job, have the bandwidth to look at your team and go, how am I make sh making sure that they are comfortable? And what type of escape hatches am I providing for them Yeah, in this organization? It's like if you're the captain of the Titanic and you're drowning, you ain't going to have time to figure out. So I've given this analogy in the age of COVID, but it's apropos before COVID hit, is that in my experience of talking to many senior leaders, particularly social impact, that most folks were at best, barely treading water. I don't want to even say treading water. I said barely treading water. Barely treading. Barely right? treading. I didn't meet a lot of social impact leaders, frankly, who I thought were swimming. Some like handful. I could probably think of the handful because those are the folks who generally, when you when you meet them and you see them, like you have a come to you and they do a lot of the practices that I think you and I have yeah. had to learn through a lot of making mistakes mm -hmm. and unfortunately putting our trauma on other people, right? That's Absolutely. And I am, I am not, I am not immune. <laughs> yeah. We, we've all done it. Yep. So Kish, 
want us to go back in the rewind machine. You were about to start with like third story, Kish, but you can even start before then is what is your story? Man, you know, I was thinking about this. So I, it took me a long time, Ron, like to come back to identifying as a Caribbean woman. Mm. Enough. I didn't really know I was American until I went to college, which is hysterical because that was when I was filling out applications and you had to put your nationality. And so I had to ask my parents. Passport, a lot of my friends did who were born in Jamaica. Mm. So that's who. But I think for me, my origin story comes from people who my dad would say, I asked him one day, you know, did he feel like he had done a lot of hard work since he came to America? Because I remember he always had two or three jobs. He only had half of a day each week off, but he still managed to spend time with me and my brother. Like, and he said to me, Oh, I haven't done a day of hard work since I came to this country. Mm. Uh, my mind was like this. Because I'm saying my dad worked seven to three and then three to 11, okay? At two nursing homes, back to back. And he had to run down the block, okay? And then he, when he was a porter, he was working all manner of crazy shifts. He didn't start to get some settling. Mm. He became a correction officer and I was 13 when that happened. Wow. Okay? He said he is, and he worked in at Rikers in the youth division, and he still didn't think that was hard work. Like, whoa. You know what I mean? And so that's that's where I begin. I begin from people who are like, hard work for what? Like, this just in me. And so the thing that I had to learn was, where's the creativity and where's the joy in that? And so who I am, most people, when they spend time with me, are like, man, you're a ball of sunshine. And I used to, like, bristle at that, right? Because I was like, mm. yeah, I'm not. I am of the Grinch. But I'm not. Um, no, you're not. No, I'm not. I'm not. Because, I mean, as far back as third grade. <laughs> let's, let me just date myself. I know, I know you're going to laugh at this. So in third grade, the third okay. grade, graders had lunch together. Two things happened in my third grade year that changed my life. Number one, I organized a doing the butt line. Okay. At recess, because when EU came out with doing the butt, I couldn't listen to it at home, but I could at school. And so I was like, this is amazing. Can you imagine 40, 50 third graders? I know a school leader right now is going, oh my God, you were that kid. There's hope. There's hope for that child. You know, organizing outside. So just think about the the joy of bringing people together and of organizing them and having that command at eight years old. So that was mm. thing, thing two that shaped me in third grade was the first time I heard the F-bomb. Oh. It was fifth grader. And they dropped it and it was like the heavens opened up. And I don't want to tell you the number of tumps, punishments, soap washing, Lord, my parents, my poor parents. Until by the <laughs> time I was in seventh grade, my mom said, just forget it. Okay. As long as you have command of the English language, we, there's nothing we can do. We've done all this. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been irreverent for as long as I can remember. Mm. And I think that really shaped who I am. You know, I'm a Queens girl, born and raised in New York City well-traveled, lived abroad in high school in Budapest, Hungary. Okay. Right? Little black girl um, in Budapest, mm. you know? Okay. And those experiences really shaped my life. My parents allowed us to travel and really made a lot of sacrifices mm. to be able to do so. And because I grew up in a divorced home, my, my dad and my stepmom, they governed their household one particular way. And my mom and my stepfather, they governed themselves another way. So culturally, mm. there were a lot of similarities, pretty seamless from house to house. Right. But that was the what. But the how looked really, really different. Mm. And so I think that that gave me the ability to operate in duality. But Ron, it also made me real confused, okay? Like, I was about to say, yeah. 
as you know, will I ever find the perfect mate when I want the combination of my stepfather and my dad? You know, the best in the world. That's a cocktail one cannot. Right. So, right. So I know with your parents, we talked about this before, but my parents were really specific, Ron. They wanted me to go to college, no direction on how. They want, and it's a new day come pay for it. So they wanted me to go to college. They wanted me to get a good job. They wanted me to find a husband, buy a house, get married, have a baby, love Jesus. The end. And emphasis on the love Jesus, because that's big, big in our households. Yeah. Oh my God. Love Jesus. Okay. Yeah. Will the Lord be pleased? And, you know, <laughs> I know a lot of folks can identify with that, right? Like, and so that shaped so many things. But, Ron, Remember, I sound a little irreverent. So I just kept rebelling. And rebellion to me looks like self-sabotage. And so every time I thought I was making my way to the top of the mountain, I would do something to fall back down to the ground professionally. Mm. I I out at work. I told the CEO that I didn't like what they did. I told the donor, don't talk to me that way. I mean, there was always something to the point where my grad school advisor said that he called me a velvet-covered baseball bat. Hmm. Boy, the analogy, boy, that might be the title of this podcast, Velvet Colored Baseball Bat. My God. And he was like, because he was like, Kashana, because you deliver these lumps, but people don't know till the next day you wake up and you have black and blues and you wonder where it came from. And you're like, oh, it was her, you know? So I've had to like navigate softening that and figuring out how to take the best parts of me and manage the things about me that need some work, prayer, help, exorcism. You know, and so that has brought me to having a a really great career as a professional fundraiser and marketer. It has allowed me to try many times on the business idea that would get me to the thing. And it's allowed me to have creative pursuits that bring me a lot of joy. And I credit that to growing up in the concrete jungle, like to having to figure it out. It was like to double dutch Mm -hmm. the cable wires, right? Because who does it with regular rope? You know, to have having a boyfriend in high school, who was the basketball star and the other one who was a drug dealer. I mean, it's a lot. It's duality happening all over the place. Yeah. Mm. So all of that, I think, has shaped me to today. And But it's made me loyal and fast, quick on my feet, able to think in any kind of situation. It has made me empathetic, able to see people, who they are and how they show up in the world. And it has given me the gift of just having the kind of impact that when I walk into a room, Whatever it is I need to do to turn that energy, it happens from me. I don't even know how it happens, but I'm able to do that in a way that centers the, the goodness and the whole, the humanness of the folks that I surround myself by. And it yeah. doesn't beat me. Yeah. I want to go back to the fact that you were raised in while two aligned households, the how being raised in two households, right? Because you mentioned your parents divorced. Sounds like were the foundation for this being able to live in duality. So talk about those households and where there was alignment on the the what, but where the how was different. Yeah. So okay. Yeah. In both parents' homes, we I'm I'm from the generation of children must be seen and not heard. You're going to get that pump. Okay. Oh my God, Lord. So let's hear the skills I learned. I learned how to read lips. Oh. And, and I can ear hustle like the best of them. I can also read upside down. Like the level of, because I am nosy. And so the level of bringing your information back to your siblings and your cousins that I was charged with doing. Mm. And so. Wow. 
they were really aligned on like how we should behave and on respect and respect for authority, whether that's your doctor, whether that is your teacher, especially your teachers, mm-hmm. you know, whomever it was. And everybody was auntie so-and-so. And I didn't know why I had to hug these people because I don't know you. That was how my mom treated us in the Philippines. I thought I was related to everybody and I asked the wrong question, which is, mom, how's this person related to me? Slowly, my mom. Stop asking me questions. You're related to everybody. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. It's like, everyone. I want to ask you know? <laughs> Okay. So every, I was blood related to the entire island of Luzon is what was in my head for a long time until I realized how irrational that was in my college years. Oh, my God. See, it's college when we figure some of these things out. Right? Oh <laughs> Crazy. So, um, so the ways my parents were different. Okay. So my mom, you know, Super religious, like with some with some wiggle, you know. She allowed us to have some fun. Um, my dad was like that until they got divorced, and then he stopped being that way. So that was a very fascinating shift. Mm-hmm. So in one household, we grew up Seventh Day Adventist, so it was you know prayer meeting on Wednesday, choir rehearsal on Friday night, church all day Saturday, Pathfinders, which is like the, our version of Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I spent a lot of time with the church. Uh, yeah. When I was at my dad's house, we spent a lot of time outside. He wanted us to go to the park and be free and run around, et cetera, and to learn and figure things out on our own. My mom was very prescriptive. Like, I need you to do this thing in this way. My dad was always a guessing game. Like, you didn't know if this was going to be the time he was going to be upset or not over things that the last time he wasn't upset, now he is. So what that did was it it brought out on the on the good side, my ability to be able to watch, right? Like to be able to read the room. On the mm. hard side, it made me super anxious, which I didn't even identify as a thing until I was in my 20s. Wow. It made me a people pleaser, right? And so what in the back yeah. at work, it showed up in my love life. The more I felt rejected, the harder I worked because I just had to, I had to win. I had to prove myself. I had to show that I was worthy of it. Were we raised in the same household, yeah, Kish? No, I'm I wondering. Said, you said we related. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it run. I had the nerve one time to go back to my parents to tell them that I had uh, of my observations and my learnings. Why would you do that? I I No, you keep that in therapy with no, don't because man. I don't even know why I did that. Please don't say I'll never do that again, okay? Because I want you to know for months after my mother was like, send time, my bad mother. I mean, like, oh my God, I did not. uh, That's, yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Since I don't know how to parent, oh, <laughs> see, I'm I'm already feeling you're bringing me back to East Flatbush when I was here. I was like, oh my god, I'm hearing your mom like, oh god, I was admonished for what did I just do? I, I don't know, my mom's not around, but I'm being one of my Jamaican aunties told me something. Okay. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> but it's so you know, I know because you you and I talked about it. People like championed us for being high achievers. Yeah. But I don't know if I was a high achiever, if I was just shook. And school, for me, was a safe place to be. Nobody wasn't yelling at me. School came to me naturally. Amen. I could be boss at school. I was the teacher's pet. I could sing. <laughs> I was the one doing the morning announcements and singing for the district. So I was a shiner. Yeah. And, and because I grew up in a, in a you know, very urban environment, I still had the street smarts and the street cred that was necessary to be able to maintain my safety. And I had the cousin who would act on it, should there be a problem. Yeah. But it made me think that the only thing that mattered in terms of success 
were the things that were attached to material things. And one of the things that I talked to my daughter, who's a freshman in college now about, is I said to her the other day, I was like, sis, I'm already proud of you. So anything you do from here on out is for you. You already got me in the front row as a cheerleader. Remember, I used to pay for your cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> my mom was yeah. and very expensive, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, but I didn't feel that way. I felt like there was always this rung that I had to reach for that was unspoken and I didn't know how to ask for. And so it didn't, in my earlier years, give me the space to take risks because I was mm-hmm. a friend And, you know, yeah. I, so yeah, so... Those that duality lived in me because I grew up my dad's house, he was much more of a saver. So, you know, when people grow up without money, they typically grow up in two ways. One, they grow up and they're like, spend it all, you only live once. Or they grow up and they're like, save every penny just in case uh we come back to the end of the world yet again. We're gonna need this. Yeah, that's how she needed and I react. I'm more of the spend it all, and she needs like save every penny. Right. Yes. I'm single, so this is the I need hello, I need somebody who knows how to save money. Because <laughs> So my mom was more of the spender. She grew up in a wealthier family in Jamaica. They had access uh, to things. My stepfather grew up super poor, but he had been taking care of himself since he was nine years old. So he was on the spend it all. We only lived this one life. My father grew up super poor and he was like, I'm sorry, did y'all see what we used to live in? Like, we're not about to do that again. So did my stepmother. Same. Hmm. Huh. But I had my parent, my mom had full custody and, you know, um, most custody of me. And so I spent most of my time with those parents, the ones who was out here living la vida loca. Right. <laughs> Shit. And so what it did was it gave me this idea that like, yo, I could always make money because my father used to always say like, don't ever leave, don't ever leave money on the table, ever. He's like, you think I, he would work overtime all the time, and he'd be like, what do you mean? You think I'm going to leave money on the table? That's free money. And I was like, is it free? You know. Um. And so my work ethic comes from that. Like, oh, I could always just make more money. The challenging part about that is if you don't know how to save for a rainy day because you feel like you could always go find you some sunshine and an umbrella, if it rains, challenge as an adult, challenge in terms of how you look at your career, challenge in terms of running a business. So here's the cocktail of that duality. Spend it all on one hand, high achieving person who stuff comes easily to struggles in roles because things come way too easily to me and there's always more I can go. That makes me what? A jumper. And in the in early days in our career, as you know, people were not excited about the fact that you were moving from job to job, right? On the other hand, is it makes me it makes me constantly chase money. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's one of the things. And because of how smart I was and am, when I started my own business, I had zero discipline. Zero. I went through my MBA program, my undergrad program for five years. Done. Straight A's. Like, I was done when I was 20. Like, and I'm not even saying that to brag. I literally was done. Like, I was, and yeah. I didn't want to go to school. I want to get married and have children. Mm. And I was like, well, I guess since I'm here, I might as well get the degree. I guess mm. since I'm at this job, I might as well be in charge. Literally is how my career went. Right. Like, if I'm a do fundraiser, maybe I should run it. Like, that started in third grade. And it started from the, like, more is more. And also there is more to be done. And that put my body and my mind into overdrive. And so I can admit this in my forties that I'm constantly having to come back to the lesson of living beyond my means. I'm constantly having to come back to the um, lesson of making do with what you have is not a failure. I'm constantly having to come back to the message of done actually, in fact, is better than perfect most of the time. Yeah. 
bring that to the reality. Like your kid is watching your every move. So you cannot flip out on her for spending $90 on Uber Eats. When when she lived in the house, y'all ate lots of all the time. Even when you ain't have it. Sis is like, what? Mommy got it. She's doing what she needs to do. Right. So when people see me and experience me out in the world, they're like, oh my God, she's such a fashionable person. She's so polished. She's put together. She's so smart. Those things are true, but they come with some heavy burdens. They come with heavy burdens. And I think that if I could talk to my parents about the things I wish they would have said out loud, Mm. what is the cost of blowing all that stuff? What is the cost Mm. of saving? What is that? How do you navigate adulthood if you make these choices? Telling me it's a bad choice is not enough. And so I think that I am having to, like many, many folks um, like us in our 40s, having to to reparent myself, having to go have hard conversations. If somebody who grew up in a household where they were like, suck it up and make it happen, swept it under the rug, going back and teaching yourself, can we just move on already? But that's not working, Ron, right? Like it's not helping me be a healthier person mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically. It's not helping me build better communities around myself, which is a part of your five-star wellness. It's not allowing me to be fully expressed because to be honest, I'm afraid a lot. Hmm. What would it look like for me, Ron, if I could walk completely unafraid? So I am the poster child for do it, do it scared, do it anyway. But what if I felt sure on my feet, what kind of impact would I have? And my parents weren't having that conversation with me. They were doing the very best they could. And because they had me in their 20s, they were growing up with me. Yeah. So I think, you know, that cocktail has really um, been the basis of the drink that is Kashana. You know, there's something that you said about walking and being unafraid. And I just... uh, I'm reflecting on doing my most recent powerlifting meet. And there's something about carrying a heavy weight that is inherently fucking demoralizing and scary. It just is, right? Because in the span of fitness things, it's not a 0% chance that I can't get severely injured or die, right? There's there's some, there's a margin there, right? Like, oh my God, freak accidents happen with people squatting where they're like fucking split their neck or die, right? And so, but there is something about the act, because I think what I heard you say and I was thinking about is, what do I find in my own life that's outside of work that allows me to enter work where I'm as close to unafraid as possible? I do believe that concept is asymptotic because you never are fully unafraid, but like if you approach it that much more where you can start feeling it less and less, Yes. Then when I do my power lifts, because I have a structure, I've got the love of a lot of people. I've got great coaching. And then for folks like you and I and many other people that we support, that's where the self-discipline can flourish. Like, I, I think what, what <laughs> this sounds so funny, like as I was hearing you talk about your story, there's a certain level of like therapy I was feeling because in hearing your story, there are so many like, oh my God, we were probably living in parallel households and didn't even fucking know it. Didn't know it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I grew up around so many Caribbeans growing up in East Flatbush and in, in, in South Ozone Park, Queens, right? You know what I'm saying? My my Jamaican massive, my Guyanese massive. Yeah. Right? I, I just, that's what I knew. And then I was Filipino. And then I grew up around a hell of a lot of people. And so this pulling from lots of things, but not always feeling like you belong here, but being this hard yeah. worker, this like 
feeling of like, wait a second, you show up and things come easily to you, but yet for a lot of things, that being driven by the fear is what often pushed me to do things. And now as we're older, to say, in fact, those things may have gotten us to where we are, but to the level that you and I want to get with our families, that no longer is what's going to get us to whatever's next. Like it's a constant thing I'm hearing with our our tribe, our people in our 40s is that, hey, all these things that got us to where we are, you got to let that stuff go because you don't need it anymore, actually. And that is the hardest work for people to do is let that stuff go. It's crazy. And it's crazy because, you know, you and I both coach, you know, we help people to work through that. And at the same time, I have to say, I'm talking to myself. Bingo. All the time. (laughs) I don't know. You know, and I said, we we in the can of paint together. I just got my foot out one good time. You know, I I breathe that air over there, but I'm here, you know. And I think that my desire to people please and to please people, on the one hand, it makes me pretty empathetic, right? Like I can see where people are. You know, I have a lot of grace for folks until you fool with me. But what it also does is that it quiets my voice. And I'll give you a really good example since we since we're keeping it all the way honest. So during yeah, please. there was an, a, a massive uptick in professionals talking about equity issues. Oh, my Lord. Yes. I made a decision as the CEO of my own small company to not even go there because I believed it was episodic. It was going to be temporary and the backlash was going to be stupid. Which is what's happening. Right. My my peers were like, you don't see this money to be made? I was like, I'm going to make my money this way. And it wasn't because I'm not learned. It wasn't because I didn't want to go get a certificate. It wasn't because I explored all those things. And ultimately I said, Kashana, you embed equity work in every, every letter on every page of everything you write. Because yeah. when you design for us, you design for everybody. And so you don't need to go out there and have all of this provocative thought commentary because you don't really have it in your own mind. And that's how I came back to why is that? Why am I not upset at certain things? Why are things not rankling me? And it's honestly because growing up, my parents used to be like, oh, that's how the people them stay. That was the Mm. for everything. And so that was in my mind. Oh, that's how the people them stay. And then you got to move on because they were like, and now get it done. You know, and so I had to take a step back so that I could really step into other folks' lived experiences. They didn't have that, but also recognize, oh, the reason I get to play in a lot of these spaces that other people will be uncomfortable or angry or they would incite all types of emotions because I actually don't have those emotions. That wasn't the way I was raised. That's not my lived experience. And so I can see something. I can understand it. I can respond to it. But what do I really want to say? And what I decided I want to say is when folk of color have nervous breakdowns. By and large, you ain't see that mess coming. Grand opening, grand closing. When my white counterparts have a nervous breakdown, I have seen the tick, 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 tock coming. Why is that? What is happening to us that many of us who are high achievers, overachievers, overworked, overstressed, people pleasing, success looks like more titles and more awards. And if you don't get it, you feel like you failed in life. I mean, I'm talking to myself. Bigger yeah. houses, more stuff. Look at the vacation I went on. Look at this thing I did. And I did a sabbatical. And I did da 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 And I'm, who are we competing with when our snap is literally a snap? So I said to myself, maybe, mm. this took me three snaps. Maybe if I start with the snap and I design out, 
that I will be able to help folks build in a layer of safety, a soft place to land for themselves, a level of rigor that puts themselves first, that can help us start to rewire how we think about success in ourselves, how we think about legacy for our families, how we focus on family time, friend time, solo time. Mm. And I realized, Ron, I don't know if everybody's going to get with this here. You know, the money ain't coming as fast as it was when I was doing some other stuff. But I believe so deeply that this is going to be the thing that is going to allow us to go into our 50s confidently, allow us to go into our 60s confidently. Some of us, like me, I love to work. I don't know if I'm going to retire, but I want the option to do Bingo. Something. Right. That's that's what the missus and I talk about all the time. I ain't going to stop, but I'd like to be able to say, you know what? When I feel like working, I can, and this is why. So we can more curate who we work with rather than have to chase the coin. That's right. Because the chase in the coin is where, and this is across sectors. I yep. see folks, when, you, when you're forced to chase the coin, you then make decisions that don't align with your values. And like everyone does, what do you do, right? To take your identity versus who you actually are. Yep. You don't want those things to be like, oh, so disconcert, so misaligned. Yeah. You then rationalize every choice. Every choice. I watch this so much, particularly in the executive search space, like folks will take on clients and I'm just like, yeah, really? And no one says anything, but everyone knows. Like you watch it. Like, it's just like, you're bringing the coin. It's like, well, they're paying the $70,000. They pay, like you can't, you know, when it is a bear market, it is hard to make those choices. I think very few of them, former podcast guests, Efi. Yeah. Walker out of four is one of the few that I know that have explicitly built it in because it's not easy to say, I'm just going to make the choice and do it. I got to figure out the financial impact and figure how to like figure that stuff out. Because you, if you can't like have the financial foundation to like make that choice and live with it, then you'll be starving. And no, you, you then you, you have another problem to solve for, you know what I'm saying? And so- that's right. And I think that many of us, you know, one of the things I've seen also in the last couple of years is this, is this uptick in folks starting their own businesses. And one of the things I love about you and Sheena is that y'all are like relaunching things together. I discourage anybody who asks me about starting the business to start it by yourself. I haven't been able to convince anybody just yet to partner with me. I don't know why, um, because I'm a delight to work. <laughs> and my books are very clean. Shout out to my CP, to my CFO. Yeah. Um, but if I would have gone into business with a partner who had complementary skills and equal drive, even if the partnership, you know, was dissolved, because it happens to a lot of people who start things together, I would be in a better position today than going it alone. And when you leave a caustic work environment to go out on your own, you have this honeymoon period of temporary reprieve. But the reality is, you now have to go at it in ways that are harder than what you were doing before. And for some of us, that's exactly what you want. You're like, well, if I'm going to sweat tears and be up all night, it's me for myself. Right. Some folks, they're like, now this is not what I have signed up for. Right. So I talk to folks about like, hey, why do you really want to do this thing? I started Kashana & Co. now, um, rebranded to management because I got quit fired from yet another role where I had turned the organization around and turned their their fundraising around. And I went from being 
the the flyest, bestest, most amazing hire that the organization had ever had to public enemy number one because I put structure in place and because I had expectations that were clear, you know, um, or because I didn't move fast enough and I had to say, hey, you know that in order for me to get in the same room you get into, I got to kind of make four and five moves. Right. To get there. Mm. And so I had to be my kid, right? That is Mm. a different impetus for starting something than I have a desire to solve a problem. And I think that 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 comes back to, oh my gosh, back to how I was raised. Don't leave money on the table, right? So you lost your job, again, figure it out. Yeah. Isn't that, like, if you think about Folks like you and I who've gone through situations like that, not once, mm-hmm. not twice, but sometimes three or four times. And even yeah. if we don't qualify as a situation where it's like the leaving the thing mm-hmm. was, you mm-hmm. know, whatever, there's usually some level of trauma and like underneath the tip of yeah. the iceberg, a story of like, wait a second, stuff wasn't going so well. And you might have left for your own volition yet. Yeah. If you would have stayed a little bit longer, something bad would have happened, right? Yeah. That story is so common. Yeah. So for many of us, like, I think about the work that you and I are doing, right? One of the the uh, big aha moments that I had in, you know, taking, retaking this entrepreneurial pursuit is solving for this question. How do I help organizations and leaders become more humanistic? Mm. And a lot of that, frankly, came from what I and my body have experienced in 25 plus years of working. Yeah. That there have been places that have had pieces of it, but generally speaking, no one is soft for it. And once again, I think about these things as an asymptote, right? You don't ever touch infinity because you can always add to it, right? So how do we get, and this goes to my powerlifting journey. Here's the deal. Like when you hear about like people having urgency and stuff like, you know, urgency exists for the outcome, but it's the incremental progress you make our after hour, day after day, week after week is where the gains are made. And that's so counterintuitive for so many folks. But I will tell you my lived experience, the best outcomes and most sustainable outcomes I've ever gotten in life, especially my fitness journey, have been appreciating the grind of the journey and saying, I'm not worried about the goal. And in fact, all the literature and all the people that I respect and follow say, Ron, you have the right orientation because you're not worried about the outcome. You're not in pursuit of the outcome. What am I frankly in pursuit of in my powerlifting journey? The journey. I mean, the number is nice, but like I didn't hit my goal that I was supposed to hit, but do I look like I'm sad about it? No. And I, I don't care. <laughs> who cares? It doesn't matter. This is where you and I, yin and yang, right? So right. we would have gone to business and blown the whole thing up in the best way. Right. Outcome driven. What is the goal? I don't care how we get there. Can we get them as long as we're above board and we're operating integrity? Right. But I had to go back, Ron, and start to learn about enjoying the process. The reality is I didn't start enjoying running my company until a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. That's fat. Speak on that. Like, let, let's let's bring that. Let talk about that. Every month, what a hustle of trying to make sure I made enough revenue so I could pay rent. Pay for my school fee, pay for her after school activities, and go shopping. Do y'all have savings? Do y'all have savings? No. You're <laughs> I did auto save. Not enough, but I did auto save. And I wasn't doing what I wanted because if I'm if I'm being honest, my sidekick stuff that I do now is what I want to do full time. You know, ultimately, I don't want to be CEO of management. I want to be the founder because I want to be on TV. I want to have a show. I want to have a talk show. I do want to center around social sector stuff because it is not quality 
um, content to me, visual video, you know, multimedia content out. And I want to bring others along to do that with me. Right. And I feel like yeah. if I say it out loud enough now that it will happen. But the reality is, Ron, I done wrapped myself in so much material stuff that I don't have the wiggle to take the risk to do that thing and fail. So I'm risking it on my hobby time. Right. And so it wasn't until a couple of years ago that I started mm-hmm. to say, it was, and it's probably like in the pandemic after I, I was, I was in the land of the lepers, Ron. So I was one of the people that got sick in that March to May time. Yeah. Mm. I nearly died. And that wasn't even enough to get me into the risk factor, but it was enough for me to start, going, what the heck am I doing this for? And so looking back on my life, I realized like, oh, I've always been invested in women and girls and young people, period. Yeah. So how do I make a life doing that? And that's where I started to find joy and to start to niche in my work and to start to realize, oh, I am actually really good at getting people off the starting block. Like my activator works very, very well. How do I do more of that? I'm really good at getting folks to see the vulnerability in their story and the power in it. How do I do more of that? I had to say out loud, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it before it actually got done. And so now it's happening. Mm. But the stuff that I just talked to you about, all that other stuff that I keep trying to rewrite, it's still occurring. It's still occurring. But growing up as a you know a woman of faith and still having it, like I believe that when the impact is going to be big, the test is going to be big, baby. The barriers might be high. And so yeah. said, this is the first time that I'm just like, F it. I'm going to just enjoy the journey. Yeah. Here we are. And that yeah. has given me a lot of ease. It has given me a lot of calm and a lot of joy and so when folks work with me now they even see me like my friends who haven't seen me in a while they're like yo you're just mad happy and calm and just chill and i was like what was i before they were like <laughs> they were like so they gave me the whole side he's the mirror like, right right hello so i think that for me getting closer to where you are around enjoying the journey slowing up just enough to look around while things are happening trusting the process and that you have everything you need to be able to ride your impact out exactly the way you're supposed to do it. And that your purpose is your values in action in this season of your life. And if you are clear on your values, then you should be able to think about how to activate those values in this mm. season, thereby giving you your purpose. Yeah. Well, I want to go on something you said that I feel like we talked about before we jumped on this podcast episode a combo ago. Uh-huh. I just re-realized like you want to be in media. And mm-hmm. we talked about this, right? Is I have my publishing group, my mm-hmm. book publishing group. So the spiritual impetus for that, which I probably sure I told you, but I'll say on this podcast, I've said it a, number, a couple of times is I watched Clarence Avon's documentary, The Black Godfather, May He Rest mm-hmm. in Peace. It has been a minute since I've watched something where I said, that's what I want to do. But like a lot of things in Ron Rapatalo's life, <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to get there. And yet there were pieces of it, right? Because yeah. when I've started reflecting on my life, which I have a tendency to do, because I'm in my head a lot. Yeah. I just like, been, I've been that kind of person. I'm in my head, which yeah. makes me quite observant like you. When some like, Ron, you're really quiet. I'm like, but I'm not quiet in my head. I just, I don't need to be talking to people all the time because people expect because I'm extra. I got to be, I'm like, but I'm not, yeah. now that I'm older, I don't need to be. But if you wanted to come out, you ready? I'm ready. But the thing about Clarence Avon's store is just hearing about the creation of his record label. And it failed. Taboo Records failed. I put fail in quotes, right? But because he was so well-connected and such the respect of other record execs, right? 
he always had this gift of being able to get all the right people in the room to make something happen. That's right. And so fast forward to see the impact he had around if something needed to get unstuck, not only just in entertainment, but in politics and leadership, he's someone you went to. And when I reflect on my own life, something that I think people have started to see me at as the last 20 years, particularly in K-12ed, yeah. is the person who helps you get unstuck in your career. Because like you, when you make space for people and you get good at it, the spirit of your word moves mountains. It does. I don't have to at people just know like, yo, if you stuck in K-12 and you looking for your next thing, you should talk to Ron. Yeah. So people seek me out, right? And yeah. what I've realized is that that gift could be taken and brought it out. Absolutely. And so this idea of being an aspiring media mogul is a label that I'm now like saying, if I speak that label, if I, speak I trust in the universe and the journey to figure out how that's going to happen. I'm not quite sure. Because to be clear, this is probably where like being married to my missus, knowing folks like you and many other dope black women that I know who are so ridiculously planful, y'all spin circles around me. My gift has always been I ideate and I dream and I just make shit happen. That's been, and it's like, I'm like my dad. My mom, in contrast to my dad, was the, we have to save money if we're going to buy a fucking house. We don't just get a house because we're fucking dreaming it. Like, I did. I was like, I was You know, and here I am in this damn house going, oh, right. Now that we're here, you know, yeah. let's be good for it. And I have ideas on how to do that too. But I, I think that, so just to let you know, yeah, on this airs, um, we would have launched a crowdfunding campaign to mm. to get the funds to build the studio. So oh. I have 1,800 square feet in an unfinished basement and my desire is to turn it into a fully functioning studio oh. here, both on the podcast and on video recording and photography. And I really want to offer that to creators like myself in the social sector, to small organizations that yeah. don't have the wherewithal. And I'm dumb connected in this stuff. And so I'm like, oh, we need a photographer and you only got $250? I know the person. You got 5000 I know the person too. Um, right. What it look like for me to create a hub where basically the Rooted Collaborative is reborn and allows us mm. media focus, creating the content that I desire to see. So I'm just going to try it. You know, we need about $50,000, which in the greater scheme of things is not that much. And so what would it look like to create this thing that is the visual manifestation or physical manifestation of a, a life's work? So I'm going to try it. You know, that, this, that is a risk because it's set because the stuff that I deal with on the inside, Ron, like even just saying yeah. is, oh, my God, people are going to think I'm broke. I mean, broke is an understatement at this point. The broke is a mentality. I'm not broke. But, you know, the, the way my cash situation is right now. Yeah, that's real. So yeah. People think that I would mismanage it. Right. Like I have all of these what ifs when I'm like, Kishana, you don't operate that way. So why are you injecting that into this idea that where you want to help people. Granted, I want to do work too, but I want to help people. So this is this is a risk. Asking for help. Asking for help is a risk. Asking for support is a risk. Asking for people to join you is a risk. It is, but I, I think the thing that you and I have deeply in common, the reason why I've re-entered this entrepreneurial world is because of this idea that I have tens of thousands of people that I could do a trust fall with as mm -hmm. I fall back and figure out what's next, right? Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for the social capital that I built, that you've built, which is literally a conversation at a time, 
yes. a follow-up at a time, a yeah. thing at a time, right? Is that that's the bet that I make that, wait a second, what I take as risk is really just taking withdrawals from the yeah. trust building awesome. piggy bank that you and I have built. Mm -hmm. That when I think about it as a concept mm -hmm. is in fact bottomless. Right. I think we get taught that so many of these things around like building your network and getting things done, that it has to be about transaction. But I think for the, the you know, the, mm -hmm. the global majority, right, that that doesn't exist. Like it's not about transaction. It's like if if I trust you, I got you. Exactly. What can I get? Like it just and I think like elevating that story and the fact that you and I and many, many others who look like us are building similar things like all these stories of people that are doing similar things are coming to mind and not just former and current and future podcast guests, right? These are all folks I'm like, wait a second, we're all really trying to do the same thing because trust is where we are so wealthy. And when people remember that and how to build that, if I can go back to like younger Ron Rapitalos keep saying, if you keep building that well, Trust that you're going to be fine in life and don't worry about you having to be right. the smartest one in the room, That's the right. hardest working person. In the room. Right. Hard work isn't always about doing hard work. That's it right. is about those spaces to build trust. That's right. Which isn't always doing work. No. And for those of us who are like us, who just do stuff because it's the right thing to do, understand that you're going to get hurt, right? Understand that there's risk right. in putting yourself out there and we don't do things because we expect to get them back. But damn, it is really nice if you pick up the phone and somebody's like, I got you. And it, is, it does suck when you're like, you ain't even say that. So how mm -hmm. do folks who operate in the way we operate really kind of Voltron up? Because you have to move through layers of whether it's conscious or subconscious, mistrust, distrust. Yeah. How that you've had in working professional and in your personal life to be able to say like, in order for us to be able to, to move where we want to go and beyond, we got to be like the 300. Mm. Got to be like that first line of defense. I describe our strengths that way. Like your strengths are like the three hundred. You got, but we got to be like the strength, the three hundred. Three hundred, yeah. all individual, amazing, phenomenal warriors, ready to go to go to war for Sparta, right? But when they locked up and they got those shields up, there was nothing anybody could do to stop mm. them. Nothing. That just gave me an energy, um, like ah, yeah. ah. I, like, I think you got to work for it. Right? Yeah. You know, like, come on, friends. You know, that is what I imagine what you're talking about actually yeah. like. And my question mm -hmm. that I ask myself is like, okay, how do I get there? Who do I bring with me? Yeah. Well, Kish, we are rounding out at that time for me to ask the bookend portion of the Rounderings podcast, which aptly named, what is your rounderings? What's the lesson or value you want to share with the audience today? Yeah, I think the lesson that I want to share with folks is something that um, my dad used to say to me all the time, everywhere you go, there you are. You have a responsibility to take care of yourself. You, it's not like you owe it to yourself. No, no, no. You have a responsibility. So I'll go as far as to say you are being irresponsible if you are not taking care of yourself because nothing that you do is going to work well for long if you don't. Mm. So for me, that is, if you start to say, look, I am on the hook for taking care of myself so that I am in a space to make decisions that are not as short as my nose is. Yeah. I think that for me, joy will flow from that. 
because you feel better, because your mind is clearer, because when you start moving in a direction that takes care of yourself from the inside out of your vessel, you start to attract like a magnet all the goodness. I mean, you're going to attract some, some, you know, people you got to talk. But the point is... That's life, yeah. Doing that work, to me, is how you fill in the foundational cracks that many of us have mm. to create new ground. Beautifully said. Beautifully, beautifully said, Kish. Before we get running, because I know we got like 10 million things to do in our lives after this, right? What do you want to promote? I know you did some of that earlier, but yeah, talk to us what you want to promote for what you got going on in life and work. Absolutely. So one of my favorite things that I'm working on right now, and I'm probably going to run it again in the new year, is Ready, Set, Implement. And those are for leaders, for solo flyers who fly by the city of plants. I would like you to put, put the plane down for a second and I will mm. work with you to put together a plan that works for you, um, for your life and for your business. And so I'm super excited about that. And then I'm, I have a book coming out. I got signed by Wiley. It's called Take Off Your Cape. It spins out from my TED Talk. And it's so, going to be about how to rethink everything so that you can have a life you love, a career you love, and be healthy AF while doing it. So, you know, I want mm. folks to kind of sign up to be a part of the book crew so we can get the word out, so we can amplify authors who look like me. Um, and just follow our work at management.co and follow me on socials because that's where the shenanigans lives. Okay, I'm a new empty nester on, okay? So I'm out Uh-oh. here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's what I got going on. Oh, Kish, I wish I had another seven hours for us to chat. I know that there's going to be, I feel like, space for us to collaborate, do more things together, because you and I have just been like, this aligned good people for a minute. So it's been a real gift having you on the Ron the Rings podcast. I know with everything you're doing, I'm a big fan. Whatever I got to do to get the word out there for you, support formally and formally, let me know. Man, you know, um, you're going out to my membership. I went out today and another one is going out next week. So I'm excited because I get to watch the analytics of like who's clicking and stuff. But your book is just such a, a good roadmap for life. You know, I think it's a book that should be marketed to young people because it's just the thing that they just need before they go out on their own. So we got to talk about that. Thank you. Yes, that'll be like when I get on your podcast, we're going to talk more leverage because I'm trying to get the word out there more about it. So Absolutely. Kish, it was a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you so much. Rondings Universe and the words of Prime. We coming. Check us out. More great episodes with Kish and other people. Coming in your inbox soon. Peace. Wow, I sit with what Kishana says at the end of this episode for her rondering that you, we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves. And it's something that both Gishan and I share deeply in common, this uh, idea that self-care is so integral to our humanity and to our leadership that if you don't do it for yourself, you certainly won't be able to serve and lead others. So thank you, Kishana, Kish, 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 for that, for that gift and that wisdom. So as I like to keep telling y'all, we keep coming with incredible guests like Kishana Palmer. So check us out on the internets. Peace.